So we're on um, lesson seven in our study of the early part of Luke's Gospel. And I just remind us that the objective of any study of the life of the Lord Jesus from the Gospels, I would, I would remind us that it has two purposes. One is to stimulate worship. It's to draw our attention to the wonder of his person and character. And it's also to stimulate discipleship. So we're in the business of enjoying what we can learn about him and at the same time reflecting on our own commitment and hopefully being inspired on to a, a deeper, more effective level of discipleship than we've had before. We're in Luke chapter 4 and we'll read verses 14 to 37. This is a, a very special passage of scripture and as we will see it's loaded with very precious things about the Lord which we won't be able to embrace fully today but um, it's one of those passages that has so much for us to meditate on and Hopefully today we'll stimulate some of that in our own private time. So Luke chapter 4 verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you do in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum 
a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. I'd also like to read two other short verses from other Gospels that um, help support some observations I would like to make about Luke. And the first one is going to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 verses 14 and 16. And it says, Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. And then going to uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54. Some may think this is a parallel passage to Luke 4. I'm not sure that it is, to be honest. You can draw your own conclusions. I think it's a little later on. But Matthew 13, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. In our breakdown uh, that David Woods has prepared, this um, section has been given the title The Saviour's Conviction, Rejection and Power. And he's categorised it into four, saying reading Isaiah's prophecy and his personal conviction about him fulfilling it. And the second point is the consequent rejection in Nazareth. That's the consequence of him claiming that that prophecy was about himself. And then the third point, demonstrating his power in Capernaum over the, de uh, over the demonic powers. And the fourth point is his consequent fame in that local region. So David's kind of prepared a systematic um, uh, agenda, if you like, for this study of the few verses that we've read together. I'd more like to consider these sequence of events holistically. So what are they combined together, teachers, about the circumstances of the Lord Jesus and his mission and his character? And I've broken it into four um, short topics that we'll discuss. And the first is the role of the Holy Spirit. So the, role, the Holy Spirit gets a couple of mentions in what we've read. And I think it's really helpful to consider that. And remember, we're reflecting um, on the 
person of the Lord Jesus in order to stimulate worship and we're reflecting on the person of the Lord Jesus in order to stimulate <coughs> discipleship at a, a deeper level and the Holy Spirit has a key part to play in that which is good for us to understand first point is the Holy Spirit the second is reputation the Lord Jesus had a reputation as we all do and I just like us to think what his reputation might be uh, might have been and what our reputation might be third point is learning by faith I think the there is evidence in the passage we've read that the Lord <coughs> Jesus learned um, about his true identity and his calling he learned as a consequence of exercising faith and reading God's word and the fourth point is living by faith there's also evidence that he put what he learned by faith into action by living by faith so let's first of all think about the Holy Spirit it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside and then quoting from Isaiah or he didn't quote he read from Isaiah which starts with the Spirit of the Lord is on me I think it's um, it's great when we see examples of the Son the Spirit and the Father all working together uh, in Scripture, in some passages of Scripture. We don't read about the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is, is not a topic we can look up and in any particular Scripture and learn about it. The doctrine of the Trinity is a subliminal teaching. So it's there in the background and it emerges as we holistically look at God's Word. It says that he was full of the Spirit and the prophecy said that the Spirit would be upon him. I'd like to perhaps surprisingly say that that's a nod to his humanity because the way a human being can fulfill God's will and understand his true purpose and his identity uh, if you like his spiritual identity is only through the enabling of the Holy Spirit I was privileged to attend TFS last year and we were studying the writings of John and again making the point that the truth of the Trinity the doctrine of the Trinity is kind of a subliminal message throughout Scripture and that means you don't go to a particular verse and say there's the definition so we made our own definition and you might think that that might be a bit, bit of a shocking liberty to take but it's so helpful when we have a difficult thing to grasp and it's a it's a mystery and we have to accept that to start with there is no set of words uh, put together by human beings that will adequately explain this the trinity but that doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile exercise so here is the definition that the students at the last tfs uh, came with it says, the triune God, three divine persons of equal rank, being one God, forming a relationship perfect in love, unity, function, 
and purpose. This is maybe a lot for you to uh, embrace. If anyone wants a copy of it, that can be provided. I'll read that again. The triune God, three divine persons of equal rank, being one God, forming a relationship perfect in love, unity, function and purpose. And then the definition goes on to give the function of each of those persons of the Godhead. It says, the Father loves the Son and gives him everything. The Son loves the Father and always does what pleases him. And the Spirit takes the things of the Son and shows them to us and glorifies the Son in the process. Read that last one again. That's what we're, we're on about. The Spirit takes the things of the Son and shows them to us and glorifies the Son in the process. My contention is that in the development of the Lord Jesus as a human being, albeit um, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy God, that the Spirit had a role in teaching him. And he was showing, in this, in the case of the Lord Jesus, the things of the Son to the Son. And that was part of um, his spiritual development as a human being. And as we'll see, he came to understand and have a real conviction of his identity and his purpose. So, just wanted to um, start with that um, I think fundamental aspect of Christian teaching is the role of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, recognising that he plays a key part in the function of what we understand from Scripture as um, the triune God. Perhaps coming down to earth now, that's um, deep, mysterious stuff, but things that inspire, truths that inspire worship as we approach them by faith. But let's move to reputation. Because the Lord Jesus clearly had a reputation. The reason why I read the Matthew scripture. Is um, in Luke. It, uh, the people were astounded at what he was saying. And they said isn't this Joseph's son. Matthew you get a bit more. Uh, in fact no mention of Joseph. Um, isn't this the carpenter's son. And isn't his mother called Mary. And then it lists his brothers and sisters. And I wanted to put to us that as a 30-year-old, which the Lord Jesus would have been at this point, his reputation was not a, a reputation of an academic. His reputation was one of the carpenter's son. And that speaks to the commitment that the Lord had showed to his family and to his father's business, I think tradition would have it that Joseph died quite young and the Lord would have been the eldest son in that family. So probably shouldered the responsibility of the business for some time. The reason why we uh, read the John 7 scripture, um, it says the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get so, such learning without having studied? That's an interesting expression. How could they say the Lord Jesus hadn't studied? And that's um, a reference to the rabbinical um, education process that a rabbi would have been through. 
So what they're saying is this guy behaves and talks with authority like we would expect a rabbi to, except he hasn't been through that, that uh, studying process. And again, it speaks to the Lord having been um, independent of his, his own training and learning were independent of what was in vogue at the time, which would have been um, the uh, Jewish leaders and teachers um, teaching young men as they emerge. And it seems that the Lord didn't have that reputation. So he had a reputation as someone who was a hands-on, um, non-academic, if you like, non-intellectual carpenter. Um, but of course, nevertheless, he had um, a great command of God's word. And that's because the Holy Spirit, as we've said, was his teacher. Um, I wonder what our reputation is. As we think about what people might think of when they see how we handle God's word. Do they see us as someone who's particularly smart and perhaps studied these things? Or do they see us as, as pretty ordinary people and somehow we've been gripped by God's word and it's having an impact on our lives? And it's this combination of the ordinary, the carpenter in us, if you like, the ordinary human experience with divine revelation. What a wonderful reputation for us to aspire towards. And that's what, that's what it means, I think, when we're, we're in the world, but we're not of it. You know, we're not to separate ourselves from the reality of the world and, and living in it in the interests of committing ourselves to the study of theology. Of course, we study and embrace and love God's word um, but we do so living a real life on earth. Um, it says that it was his custom to go to the synagogue. That's another reputation. He had a habit of going to the synagogue. And I'm looking around, people would say that about us. Um, being a disciple and showing our commitment to discipleship by meeting together with fellow disciples. It's a habitual thing that we do, not just for habit. That habit, habitual thing in that context is good, but we do it because we enjoy it and we get a lot out of it. That's something that was his custom. And isn't it frustrating that the people who I would love to hear that encouragement from aren't here because they um, well, many of them at least have got out of the habit of meeting together so something for us to not smugly thank God for but to thank God for his grace in our lives that we've been able to commit to meeting together the Lord used to, to do that with his disciples perhaps later on in this but he certainly did it as um, a point of his routine activity and it became part of his reputation. I also get the sense that the reading of God's word says they handed the scroll to him and it was almost like, oh, he's here. Uh, we love to hear him read. So they gave him the scroll and, he, and he, um, the scroll was handed to him. 
and he went to Isaiah. And there's a, a reputation there about the public reading of God's word. That was an instruction uh, from Paul to Timothy uh, that he was to engage in the public reading of God's word. And I would just encourage us to engage in the public reading of God's word. And you might think, well, what's public? And I would put it to you that public is more than one. So as couples, do we engage in the reading of God's word? And of course, if you're a couple and you're reading God's word, or if you're more than one and you're reading God's word, you have to read out loud. And reading out loud God's word, I would put it to us, is a really enjoyable and healthy thing because it stimulates us, it stimulates conversation. Um, and there's no better conversation that's stimulated by a couple or a group having read God's word together. And the Spirit is there, he's our teacher, as we've said, and he's uh, prompting questions and discussion and feedback. Um, and I would just, again, I don't think I'm stretching it too far, but um, this was the public reading of God's word, albeit in a formal synagogue context. And I would just encourage us to do that. So he had that reputation about his education being a little bit of a, uh, an unknown to people. He had the reputation of being a down-to-earth, um, hands-on human being, part of the business, the, the carpenter's son. He was uh, recognised as being an ordinary family member. And yet he had these commitments, commitments to God's word, commitments to um, visiting um, habitually the synagogue, and not just being uh, a silent one, but one who would participate. I love that expression that when he sat down, it says every eye was fixed on him. And that was the consequence of him having read the word. And there are some people, and I'm not one of them, who have a real ability to read God's word, actually maybe read anything, but read God's word in particular with, um, with passion and expression. And I can just imagine that that's what they would have heard from the Lord, someone who not only spoke with authority, but somehow read with authority. And as a consequence, they were just riveted by it. And he sat, he handed the scroll back, he sat down, and every eye was on him. And then the irritation starts. That's when he said, today, in your presence, this um, prophecy has been fulfilled. Which takes us to the third point, which is learning by faith. We can't learn by faith without the help of the Holy Spirit. I would put that to us. Um, we learn from the upper room ministry that the Holy Spirit, amongst a whole range of other things, was to be the teacher of the disciples. And he's our teacher too. I put it to you, as I have earlier, that he was the Lord's teacher. At what stage did the Lord read those and other passages in Isaiah and come to the conclusion that it was about him. And he spoke with authority on this occasion. He said, today in your sight, this has been fulfilled. And I, I love the thought that as the Lord committed himself from childhood to reading and meditating and studying God's word, so his true identity would be revealed. And of course, in his case, the amazing identity of the eternal Son of God, the Christ, the anointed one. 
But you know we find our own identity in God's word. James describes God's word as a mirror. And you look in the mirror and you see yourself. And sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, you think, uh, really? Uh, because what we see isn't necessarily what we like. But that's, that's God's word. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we see our identity. Our identity in relation to how God sees us. And God sees us, of course, and he loves us. And we see um, people who are changed, transformed by God's grace. And I believe the Lord learned about his, uh, his own identity in the study of God's word. And we do too. It's so important to have a right perspective on ourselves. We're never the best judge of our own selves or of our own thoughts and decisions and they need to be if you like calibrated against the um, power of God's living word of course we don't read the bible just to find out about ourselves um, we read the bible to find about the true identity of the Lord Jesus as well but again we're studying his behavior in the interests of stimulating worship and we're studying his behaviour in the interest of stimulating deeper discipleship. Then the heart of our passage in Luke 4 is about his conviction of his calling and his mission. And uh, we're not going to spend any time on that particularly. It's well-trodden pas passage of scripture that describes the, um, the call of the Lord and his purpose. Let's just read it, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Um, again, I mentioned at the start, so much scope for meditation on the call and the mission of the Lord Jesus so beautifully crafted in that prophecy. And we do well to study that. But again, just making, taking the application to our own circumstances, not only do we learn about ourselves by looking into God's word, we learn about his calling of ourselves and what it is that he's um, expecting us to do as disciples. And of course, he wants us to do that out of appreciation for the Lord, which we all, all also get from meditating on his word that's the learning by faith and i put it to you that the lord was a man of faith and although he was the eternal son and is the eternal son he um, took on human likeness to the extent that he put himself in a position where he had to learn and his learning um, process was um, met his requirement for learning, his teacher was the Holy Spirit, just as ours was, and the source of his learning was God's word. What about living? This is our last point. We've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, reputation, learning by faith, living by faith. And I'd just like to pull out four verses to um, underpin some lessons that we can learn about his life of faith. Uh, verse 30, and this is when he's rejected from, by his people, 
his hometown of Nazareth, and they take him out to throw him over a cliff edge. Uh, it's a great transition from every eye fixed on him, and they were impressed with, with what he said, um, to when he declared, actually, this is about me that we're reading. Um, and they took objection about, about that. Um, you might think that, he, sorry, I also meant to mention that he then uses that illustration. You might want to say, um, physician, heal yourself. It's quite interesting, isn't it, that that was the Lord's comment, not theirs. They didn't say, physician, heal yourself. He said to them, you might be thinking in your own minds, physician, heal yourself. And is that because he was a hypocrite? Because he was claiming to be this and they knew his, his, uh, his real life? And the two are inconsistent? Absolutely not. Um, they knew his background. Isn't this Joseph's son? And his background seemed somehow incompatible with the one that Isaiah was writing about. Um, the point is that they rejected him. And how did he cope with rejection? Um, the lesson is he moved on. Now he moved on in power. So I don't know how that looked but um, it says that he walked through the midst and you get the impression he'd been dragged to this place and somehow they were powerless and he moved on. Remember, the Holy Spirit is upon me. And that's a lesson for me in times of difficulty. Um, maybe rejection is, uh, is a strong word, but times when we're struggling to be accepted um, we're struggling with um, just life in general perhaps and the Lord seemed able to, to move on and I'd just encourage us to take encouragement from that that there comes a point where we just move on and you know, the Lord had other things to do of course he was at the beginning of his ministry and uh, in the power of the spirit he just he left those that had rejected him in Nazareth and moved on and there's maybe a lesson for, for us there too verse 32 we're talking about living by faith verse 32 amazed at his teaching because his message had authority um, and the lesson here is speaking with authority and there's two elements to it there's a boldness um, how easy was it for the Lord to be sat in the synagogue with every eye on him and then he says to them, um, today in your, in your presence this scripture has been fulfilled. That's not an easy thing for him to say. Because um, it could have, well the effect it did have, it turned them off. And I think when we have a life that's being lived by faith and we have a conviction about what we believe, then we have a boldness and we say it because it's true. Um, and it's a, it's a faith-driven conviction. You know, the Lord had that faith-driven conviction that Isaiah's prophecy was about himself and all of those things that were now his calling and his mission were written about himself and they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. I, I wonder sometimes whether when we speak, those of us who are able to have the opportunity to speak in public like this, or even just when we're speaking privately on a one-on-one -on -one basis, do we speak with authority? If someone challenges about what we believe, um, why we believe what we believe, are we bold? 
as the Lord was bold and um, are they amazed and again it's not amazed by us but amazed by what we've learned through the revelation of the Holy Spirit and our boldness to articulate it need to be really careful though my mind goes to Acts 4 and 13 where you've got Peter and John and they're preaching and they were the crowd was astonished because they were unschooled ordinary men and it's God that gets the glory for any measure to which we're able to articulate what he's done for us undeterred by rejection uh, speaks with authority verse 36 uh, with authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out and I wonder to what extent our message our behaviour the way we demonstrate our discipleship and love for the Lord I wonder to what extent that's accompanied by power um, <clears throat> in the case of the Lord he showed his power by his miracles and his command in this case over evil spirits but there are other way other ways to show power in our lives and it, it's just by availing ourselves of the Holy Spirit and we often think about the gifts of the Spirit and we perhaps get um, all het up about well which gift is mine and and how do I discover it and how do I exercise it the Holy Spirit himself is a gift and he's within us and he's the one who not just teaches us as we've learned but enables us and if we're feeling somewhat deficient of power then perhaps um, it's because we're maybe too self-sufficient there's a verse in the Old Testament isn't there Zechariah I think it is it says it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit and that's the only basis on which we can move forward and then the last verse verse 37 and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area although he had known rejection in Nazareth in his, in his own town um, as he moved on put that behind him and moved on his, uh, the good news about him spread and his reputation spread for someone who had power someone who spoke God's word who taught with authority someone who talked with with spoke with gracious words so the, that's the expression that was used all these should be characterizing our own lives and conversation so the fourth point about living by faith is reputation what is our reputation as we immerse ourselves in the study of our lord and savior jesus christ and commit ourselves to discipleship in, in following him fully end of today's um, message from Luke chapter 4 hopefully some things for us to reflect on and take back but also an encouragement for us to carry on with our own personal meditation on the wonder of the person of the Lord Jesus and be inspired to a more deeper effective discipleship thank you